I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. Are you a disciple? What is a disciple? Um, January this year is going to be all about discipleship. Being a disciple and making disciples is central to the Christian life. And so we we decided to start the year with a focus on discipleship. Seems reasonable. So that's where we're going to start. There's tons of definitions about a disciple. Um, Some say, well, it's just simply somebody who's a convert. They've just surrendered their life, and now they're a disciple. Um, others would say, well, that's a, it's somebody who's a learner, so it's kind of like a little step up. They're, they're learning, and uh, by learning, that makes them a disciple. Some people kind of raise the bar quite a bit and say, well, you know, the disciple, that's, that's like the minister, okay? That's like the preacher or somebody special, some kind of super special Christian, is the disciple, and all the rest of us, kind of something not. Um, The Greek culture, at the time that Christ called his disciples, defined disciples as a person who who was committed to an important and known master. Notice from that definition, there's not a, salvation's not in that. So there was a lot of disciples in the day, but they were committed to a, to a well-known, they were faithful to a well-known teacher, master. I find uh, Jesus' command to the first disciples, which was Peter and Andrew in Matthew chapter 4, very helpful for our definition, our understanding of what a disciple is. Matthew 4, 19, and he said to them, follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is so awesome. This one simple little verse, three parts, and he tells us so much. Follow me. Come into relationship with me. Be with me. Follow me. Listen to me. Learn from me. I will make you. Transformation. It wasn't what they did. What God does. Right? I will make you. What? Fishers of men. Kingdom purpose. God's purpose for them as disciples. Follow me. I will make you. Fishers of men. 
And we know from John 1.1, right, that Jesus is the Word, right? And we also know that God repeats very important points in His Word when He wants to emphasize something, when He wants to make it really clear for us. So check this out. God's plan all along has been to make disciples. In Genesis 1.26, then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In his image. Relationship. He made them. Transformation from dust. Fill the earth with my image. With imagers of me. Exercise my kingdom dominion over all the earth. Show me to the world. How about Noah? Genesis 6-9, Noah walked with God. Genesis 9-9, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And then in 9-7, And you be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Noah walked with God. Relationship. I will establish my covenant. Transformation. Wasn't anything Noah did. Be fruitful and fill the earth. Kingdom purpose. Starting to get a, starting to get a pattern here. How about Abraham. Genesis 12, 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Go out, I'll show you. Relationship. I'll make you a great nation and make your name great. Transformation. And you will be a blessing to the nations, kingdom purpose. The Bible is absolutely full of this type of instruction and examples of following him, his transformation, and his kingdom purposes. I could go on and on, but there's a great list in Hebrews 11. Heroes of the faith, right? Men and women in deep, faithful, committed relationship with God. Every single one living a transformed life. Living for God's kingdom purposes. Yes? So lots of disciples we've mentioned. Lots of them. But a quick question. Were all those perfect? No. Noah, Abraham, Adam, Peter and Andrew... <laughs> Were all those heroes of faith perfect? No. So whatever definition we build in our minds about disciples, it can't include them as some kind of super special, extra, super duper Christian. Um, at least not until glory. However, Jesus was clear about those that were true disciples. He talks specifically about two attributes of true disciples in the Gospel of John. We'll talk about one this week, and we'll talk about the other one next week. 
The first is found in John chapter 8, verse 31. If you want to turn to John chapter 8, I'll read this for us while you're getting there. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Before we unpack truly my disciples, I have to address the 800-pound gorilla that just walked in the room. Right? If there are some who are truly disciples, then there must be some who are false disciples. Oh, man. That's, that's where we're going to start, our first point. False disciples don't remain disciples. There are several places in Scripture where disciples or believers stopped being disciples or believers. They started out following Jesus, and then something happened, and they stopped. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8, if you're not there already. This week we're going to focus on this verse, uh, these two verses, John 8, 31 and 32. And since we're kind of coming into the middle of the passage here, we need to get some context. Context is key to interpretation. Context is key. If we don't get the context, we're not going to understand what's going on. So in John 8, 31, Jesus was addressing Jews who believed. Who were they? This is extremely important to our passage. Who is Jesus talking to? What's going on? What's the context of this description of true disciples? We have to understand that in order to understand where we're going with truly my disciples. We know from John chapter 7, verse 2, that Jesus traveled uh, to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths. This is one of three major festivals when all ancient Israelites who were able would make a pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem. And this was commanded in the Torah for them. The other two were Passover and Pentecost, which figure also very heavily in Scripture, right? We know that. These Jews from chapter 8 had been listening to Jesus teach at the temple during this feast. The context is significant because the Feast of Tabernacles commemorates God with the nation of Israel after delivering them out of slavery in Egypt. God gave them this festival to remind them of their living in tents while they were in the wilderness. And it celebrates His presence with them, together with them in the wilderness. God was a light leading the nation as, as, in a, as a pillar of fire going before them. And the Jews were celebrating this in anticipation also of the Messiah who would be returning to be with them. Okay? So we're getting kind of an idea here. This festival was also at the time of harvest, which is God's provision for them. And God commanded them very significantly in Deuteronomy 16, 14, that in this feast that they should celebrate what God had done and the Messiah who would dwell with them again and his provision at this time of harvest. Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, 
records that during this festival, one of the traditions in Jerusalem at the time of the temple was to light huge torches in the outer courtyard of the temple. I have some slides here. Pull up the first one, Jeremy. There's one. You can see there's a huge torch here. Um, and this is in the outer court. This is in the women's court. So the Gentile believers could be there and the women could be there all together. And, and they would light these big torches. Uh, Josephus said in one place that it was like a menorah. Okay. There's another one. What's the next one here? There we go. Here's another view. And we can see it looks like there's a lot of celebration going on. There's trumpet blasting and people are are rejoicing and praising God. This is what was going on in the temple at the end of this. And the next slide, a light, the light from these huge tor torches in the temple would shine out in the dark. Okay? They would shine out from the temple. It would shine out over all of Jerusalem. And since Jerusalem was on a hill, this light would shine for miles. Okay? They're celebrating this light that has come, right? The light that led them and the light that would come, okay? So this, they would celebrate this with blowing trumpets and shouting and dancing and celebrating. So you have this picture of this huge festival and everybody's focused on this celebration. Next slide. Kind of like 4th of July, Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows what we're celebrating. Everybody knows the purpose. And you can see this all over the country, right? Similar kind of a thing. They didn't have fireworks, but they had torches. Okay? So we get this picture here. And here comes Jesus to teach at the temple. Look at John 8, 12. Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here he is, light of the world. Come to earth. Emmanuel, God with us. God dwelling in humanity. I'm here. He declares. And they've got this in mind, right? This, this festival that's all about him. Here he is. I'm the light. But look at John 8, 13. We find out who at least some of these Jews were. The Pharisees began to argue and accuse him. They say, you're bearing false witness about yourself. They're calling Jesus a liar. They're saying, you're not the light. You're not the Messiah. You're not God. He said, I am. They, they know what he's saying. And Jesus replies in John 8, 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And in John 8, 19, the Pharisees reply, where's your Father? And Jesus replies, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. Jesus calls him out in 8.21. He says, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus is talking about heaven. And the Pharisees are really confused. 
and they think he's going to kill himself. So in John 8, 23 and 24, Jesus told them, You are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. He made this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. There's a lot of authority in that statement, isn't there? Unless you believe I am who I say I am, you're going to die in your sin. So in verse 25, they ask him, who are you? And he tells them, just as I've been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world I have heard from him. They don't understand. He's been talking about the Father in heaven. And Jesus finally says in 8, 28, and 30, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. And then in John eight thirty, as He was saying these things, many believed Him. Which brings us to John eight thirty one. So Jesus said to these Jews who had believed him. Okay, now we got the context of our verse. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So many of these Jews believed him. And notice what Jesus say, says. If you abide in my word. If, 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 if. This Greek word here is ahan, and the Greek dictionary says this word is a marker of condition with the implication of reduced probability. Probably not, if. Jesus is talking to these Jews who believe, saying if, because they're not committed to Jesus. John MacArthur, in his commentary on John, says, the Bible warns that not all faith is saving faith. Leon Morris, in his commentary on John, warns, this is a most dangerous spiritual state to recognize that the truth is in Jesus and to do nothing about it, which means that, in effect, they align themselves with the enemies of the Lord. It's not that they've, they've lost their salvation. They never had it. They didn't have saving faith. So they don't remain. That's exactly what happens here. These Jews who have believed him are the same ones that in John 8, 34, Jesus describes as slaves to sin. In John 8, 38 and 41, he says they're children of the devil and they don't really love him. In John 8, 42. And in John 8, 45 and 46, they refused to believe him. And in John 8, 48, they blasphemed him and finally just wanted to kill him in John 8, 37 and 40. Boy, that's some believers. But this is not new. In John chapter 2, verse 23 and 25, 
It says, Jesus knew many of these following him, believed in his name, but he didn't trust them because he knew what was in each person's heart. In John 6, 53-55, John writes that many of Jesus' disciples, that's the word it uses, many of Jesus' disciples heard his hard teaching on eating his body and drinking his blood. And in verse 56, Jesus explains, this is true food and this is true drink is abiding, oop, there's an abiding word, abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in them. Hint, hint. Verse in 831, right? Abiding. And when his disciples, that's what Scripture calls them, heard this, they started grumbling. And they told Jesus, this is hard to listen to. And in John 6, verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So we can see here clearly Some people described as disciples aren't true disciples. And others described as believers don't fully believe. In John, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians 15, 2, Paul calls for his readers to examine themselves to see if they were in the faith. And James warned his readers about having a dead, effective faith with nothing in their lives to show for it. These Jewish Jewish believers had a type of faith. They believed something of what Jesus said and something of his teaching, but they were only giving lip service to the facts. This is not saving faith. Even the demons know who Jesus is. In Matthew 7, 21, this is a scary one right here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And this leads us to our second point. True disciples remain in Christ. Look again at John 8, 31 and 32. I'm focusing on this little, this little short passage because this is a key passage in scripture about discipleship so jesus said to the jews who had believed him if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free abiding or continuing is the word that the nasb uses here remaining in god's word is a characteristic of a true disciple I find the New Living Translation helpful here. It reads, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. We're getting that not just knowing, but doing kind of a feel here. That's abiding. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's a condition here that's required in order to know the truth and for the truth to set you free. We see that? There's a connection here. Remaining, faithful, abiding, continuing. All of this is following in that first passage I read. That's what Peter and Andrew and the rest did up to a point and then came back. 
to follow him, to keep following, to remain following, to follow every day. Certainly that's abiding. True disciples are those who abide in Jesus and are faithful to his teaching. This is exactly the context. Jesus was teaching about who he was, right? And these semi-believers, they only believed up to a point. And they pulled back. They were believers up to a point. But they started questioning. They started being doubtful. They started, well, what, what, that can't be right. You're not who you say you are, right? They're, they're picking and choosing what he's saying. I'll, I'll believe this part, but I'm not going to believe that part. You see, they were in authority over God's Word. Ooh. Instead of the other way around. Right? His Word is in authority over them. we got to be careful here. Okay? We get the Bible and we look at it and we say, I, I like this part. But man, I don't like this other part. I'm going to do this part that I like. But I'm not going to do this part. I'm going to pick out this part that I like. But I'm going to skip this other part. Who's in authority? You or the Word? I tell you the answer to that. The Word. Jesus knows what He's doing. He is the Word. Matthew 7, 21, it's the one who does the will of God who is a disciple and who will be in the kingdom of heaven. Which part? All of it. John MacArthur is helpful here. I have this quote for you on the screen. Those whose faith is real saving trust, those who are truly disciples of Christ Jesus will continue in both faith and obedience to his word. The present tense of the word me, are, that's the word are, truly are, suggests that Jesus is not telling them the requirements for becoming a disciple. He did not say, if you continue in my word, you'll become my genuine disciples. Instead, he declared that the nature of true discipleship consists of continued obedience to his word. He's not giving the disciples some kind of a checklist, some kind of requirement to meet, to be true. He's describing the nature of the life of a true disciple, which consists of continued obedience to his word. Faithful, devoted, obedient relationship. That's what sets the true disciple apart from those who are not true disciples. It's not that they obey and that they become a true disciple. Commitment is already a part of their life. They're already committed. That's the true disciple's commitment. I'm going to remain faithful, even when it's hard, even when I don't like it. This is repeated all throughout Scripture. John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 14, 21 and 23. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. You'll know the truth, right? 
If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, 1 John 5, 3. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, James 1, 22. This is the same all throughout God's word. True disciples abide in the word. They abide in Jesus. They, um, what he said. This is how disciples will know the truth. Because Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the word and the truth. John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 14.6, Jesus said to them, to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. True disciples are in a committed, obedient relationship with the Word of God, Jesus. True disciples know the truth, Jesus, and Jesus knows their hearts, and Jesus sets them free. Very quickly, this is point number three. True disciples are transformed by God. Setting disciples free from what? Sin. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is a work of God all the way through. I mean, beginning, middle, end, it's all the Lord. God makes us able in our sin to recognize our need of Him. And then to turn to repentance and to respond to Him, and He opens blind eyes and deaf ears, and He washes us, and He draws us into committed relationship to, to follow Him and to love Him and obey Him and to live for His kingdom. John eight thirty two. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Abide in Jesus, and you'll know Jesus, and Jesus will set you free. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. You guys know this. I think it's very significant to what we're talking about. And you were dead and the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the air, the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship. Genesis 1.26 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The very Spirit of truth graciously frees a true disciple from slavery to sin into committed relationship, following Him, spending the rest of their life abiding in Him on good kingdom works that He has graciously prepared. God does this. It's, it's nothing in the disciple. God brings them, draws them, makes them alive, shows them, gives them the power to repent, gives them the desire to repent, saves them. Every step of this is Him. Every single step. He brings us from slavery to committed relationship. Following Him. Spending the rest of your life abiding in Him. Following Him. Living your life for the good kingdom works that He has graciously prepared and allows us to do. Are you a false disciple? Do you believe up to a point? Do you live your life with you in authority? I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to live my life this way, here, but not for that. Who's in authority? Do you leave room for sin? Say, well, you know, me and God, we got this thing going. And it's all right. That's not God. James calls it double-mindedness. I kind of believe this, and I kind of believe that. And James says, unstable in all his ways. In everything. You think you're doing all right? Unstable in all your ways. That's a false disciple. That's someone who's not committed, who's not living all in. Are you a true disciple? Following Him, desiring Him, hating and striving with that sin. Seeking, God, transform me. Make me not me. Make me free from this. Make me into Your image. Make me look like You, Lord. I need You, God. Make me into Your image. Use me for Your purposes. Open the door, I'll walk through it. I'll follow you wherever you, you lead. Because I'm not mine, I'm yours. That's abiding. That's following. That's single-minded. That's commitment. That's a true disciple. Brett read uh, Psalm 91 to us, which I love. Sure you do too. One and two. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And then at the end, love this part. 
God responds, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls on me, I'll answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll rescue him and honor him with long life, everlasting life. I'll satisfy him. And I will show him my salvation. Hallelujah. So, you might be coming here today and you don't know any of this. You don't know where you are in this. Ask the Lord to draw you. Ask the Lord to fill you with His Spirit and give you the power to repent from your sin and turn to Him and live your whole life every minute for Him. Or maybe you're kind of a believer. Kind of semi. They got some big warnings in here. Turn from that. Give your whole life to Him. Don't come part way. Because part way is no way. Be all the way. Be committed to Him. Surrender to Him. And if you are a true disciple, live for God's purposes. Oh wait, that's next week's sermon. Let's pray.